Hey guys, and welcome to our next episode of My Cancer Story Podcast. I am Jessica. I am your host. Before we get started, I want to do a quick announcement. It's a very exciting announcement for me. Um, it is October, and that means it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And I'm really excited to share with you that I will be posting one episode every single week for the month of October, sharing stories of breast cancer survivors. In addition to that, I will be doing a lot of content on my social media, my Instagram page, which is at my cancer story podcast. I'll be sharing a lot of content from a very, very dear and best friend of mine, Joanne Warner. She shares tip time with us. So you'll be seeing a lot of quotes and a lot of writings from her. And then on top of that, uh, Today's episode is going to be starting with our first breast cancer survivor. So I really hope you guys enjoy it. Okay. Well, cool. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Um, today guys, I have, thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I have Christy Gossel. Did I pronounce that right? Gossel. So I, that was my, (laughs) my previous, yeah, that was, so that was my, my previous married name. Actually, I got married our our one year anniversary is coming up here in a couple of weeks. So, um, yeah. It's been, it's been quite the, quite the first year of being married in quarantine, obviously. So that's definitely, yeah, that's been a fun challenge. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like if you can get through that first year anyway, you're, you know, like that's a, like a big feat, but yes. then like in quarantine yes. during a pandemic, that's just like, you guys are solid. You're set. <laughs> yeah. 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 And trying, yeah. The, in the beginning part of it, when we were homeschooling, um, and obviously we have kind of a shared custody situation going on too. So that they're, um, there are 10 year old twins that live with us part of the time. So we were, we were trying to do that whole thing too. So yeah. Good times. That's a lot of, (laughs) a lot going on. Yeah. It was a lot. Yeah. It it has been a lot. Yeah. So my husband and I, um, we got married uh, a little over two years ago, like maybe like two years and four months or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) I always feel bad saying this, but I was like now more than ever, like, Am I so happy that we don't have kids, especially young kids? I have heard quarantine. a lot of people say that. It's very, Mad very respect. interesting. My sister has a four-year-old and he's just drives her up the wall sometimes. <laughs> so the kids did go back to school last oh, week. And so they, um, my stepdaughter is there part of the time. My stepson uh-huh. actually goes every day oh. and fingers crossed that it kind of hangs in there. Yeah. So yeah, it's important for the kids' well-being too, like to be with their friends mm. and just to have like normal life. Absolutely. Again. Yeah. Yes, I think it's just as important for them yeah. as it is for us, right? Absolutely. So health right there. Okay. So what's your? Have you changed your last name? What's your new? Yes. Last name? So yes, okay. Myers. Myers. Okay. Yes. Myers. Yeah. Have you gone through the process yet of changing your last I name? I did. I did mostly. I feel like every once in a while, there's something that like at doctor's appointments or something. Yeah, I don't feel like it's all, yeah. I don't feel like it's all changed. Oh yeah. I still um, doctor's appointments. Completely. Like, Thomas Nelson. Yeah. I'm like, who am I? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. 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 All right. Okay. So I have Christy Myers with yes. me today and she has a multi-tiered cancer story. So this is really unique. She found me on, I think you found me on my website or on a Facebook post? Facebook. Okay. Yeah. It was a okay. Facebook post. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And so, um, once again, her, her story is multi-tiered. Um, she's coming up on, or maybe past a four year, uh, thyroid cancer survivor and uh, stage two breast cancer survivor. Are you both four years? 
So that's the fun part of the story that I, that I have to share. We'll dig in. Yeah. Dig in a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and then also, um, your mom was diagnosed shortly after your breast cancer diagnosis. So you kind of have like three cancer stories all wrapped into one. So this oh, is yeah. a really unique, um, interview and situation. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. So I, from here, I'll just let you take it away and, and we'll, we'll chat sure. as needed. All right. Yeah. yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. So I, um, I had the fortune of, finding my breast cancer myself. I was actually, I got, I had gotten home from a yoga class one night and I, that was, that used to be kind of my outlet. It's shifted a little bit since, since, but, um, I came home from a class, you know, sweaty yoga class. And I was, I happened to have an itch like on the side of my left, you know, chest area. And my my first instinct was not necessarily to go to the place of saying, oh my God, like tragic, right? Um, my mom had actually had over the years a long history of many benign breast tumors, always benign. Oh, she, you know, had them starting in her 30s, um, had never been an issue, but she had had many things either, you know, needle aspirations, biopsies you know, actual surgical removal, whatever. Um, but had always come back negative. So she was always good. And she, and so I kind of assumed out of the gate that it was not necessarily something I should freak out about. Right. I was 35 at the time. Um, I knew that I would be a candidate for early or earlier screening. And I think that 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 year, probably at 35, would I have had a baseline mammogram? I think I would have been eligible to get that at that point. Mm -hmm. I had discussed it with my GYN at the time, and he was going to send me probably at my next visit, which I had, um, you know, probably I think a week after I noticed the lump to begin with. So I waited for that appointment, went to see him and, you know, he, the way that he initially also thought of it was like, it, it kind of moved around. It didn't, it didn't necessarily, um, appear to be something that he would be concerned about. Um, so sent me just for the, you know, initial imaging, you know, things like that, um, mammogram, baseline mammogram, ultrasound. And you know, it, it obviously crossed my mind that something could be wrong. I think though at the time, you know, being 35, I had not really had any health issues up to that point. I took care of myself. I was very active athletically. I ate pretty well. I, you know, I, I wouldn't have considered myself or ever put myself in a category of thinking that I was like the prime candidate for like, you know, cancer at age 35. It just wasn't on my radar. And so I, you know, I think, um, obviously in hindsight or knowing what I know now, um, that scene is so much different, but, um, needless to say, as time went on too, I, I did start to have pain. And so I, the closer I got to having my scans, the more that it kind of escalated my thought process that like, oh my God, like, what if this is something? And, you know, I think then your anxiety kind of, you know, accelerates and that doesn't obviously help the the cause very much, but one way or the other, um, they could not see 
the mass on mammogram, uh. which is interesting. Um, they could see it on ultrasound, and then they need they prompted that prompted them to do a needle biopsy. So I had that a few days later, and that the next day I think I got my diagnosis. So it was it was twenty four hours later probably. Yeah, that I got the diagnosis from the from the needle biopsy, and you know. Also, in hindsight, it's interesting. I was in a different relationship at the time, and you know, he was a person who was very connected to some of. He played hockey, and he had some friends who had wives that had breast cancer. One in particular, she worked at actually our local cancer center here in Buffalo, and. Um, so I was very quickly connected to the right people. Um, and I think that I always believe in kind of the cliches that you're connected to people or you're in situations for reasons that you can't necessarily understand at the time. Right. And, and I think, um, in looking back at a lot of that, I know that I was in that situation for a reason too, and was put on the path I was to meet the people that I did through the process. And, um, as hard as it is to go through a process like this, like I knew it was like, okay, I've got the right people in my corner. Um, so it, it took me maybe a couple of weeks to get an appointment with my surgeon was the first person that I met with. And she kind of mapped out everything for me. She actually, in my first appointment, we, um, another sign for me was she, she walked into the room and she looked at my chart and we share the same exact birthday, like right oh, down wow. <laughs> like month, day, year. Everything. No kidding. Oh my yes. God. Like legit birthday twin. So she's exactly <laughs> the same age as me. And, um, so, and we're now, I, I consider her a friend, right? So, and she's wonderful. I, I was very impressed with her and, and felt comfortable and like I was in the right hands, but she basically mapped out the whole thing for me. Like, this is what kind of cancer you have. This is what, you know, types of things you're going to expect on the journey here. Um, and I remember her writing it all down. Um, and then you obviously go for a variety of scans to say, okay, well, you know, has this spread anywhere? Because then that's your next fear. Cause you're like, oh my gosh, like one yeah. thing after another. Um, not stressful at all. No. Yeah. So I went on the, the whole, and there was, and then there was this whole conversation about like freezing eggs. And at the time I was not, you know, in a relationship, I wasn't married to him. And it was a very awkward conversation that was had by my surgeon, myself. He was in the room and my mom, I think was there. And, you know, he was an older gentleman and he was just basically like, I want nothing to do with that. I was not in a place and a mindset to be thinking about something like that. But obviously all these things are thrown at you on your plate all of yeah. a sudden. And you're just like, Oh my God, like you're forced to think about something, you know, you're not forced to. <laughs> totally. And to force conversations that are, you know, uncomfortable. Right. So and not for, and not to mention the fact that you even have to go go through this and put other people through this, right? Um, I think is is just it's it's enormous weight on your shoulders. But so anyway, I I then start on the journey of going through all the scans to see you know what where I'm at with everything and um, meet with my oncologist and all of those things and. Basically, I, I don't really remember a whole lot in between there. All I remember is like knowing that it hadn't spread anywhere, okay. 
but then they give me the day for my, you know, well, you're good. You can want to start chemo on Tuesday. Like they're just, a very, it's a very strange the way that you're presented with this information too. You're just kind of like, the fact. Like, yes, yes. And, and meanwhile, you know, they're delivering this information to you and you're just like completely devastated. Yeah. You know, and I know that mind. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I recognize that it's their job to deliver that information. And I'm sure that they're very comfortable doing that at this point. They've done it for many years, I imagine, but it just is very, it's just very hard information to digest. And when they're throwing all this stuff at you, basically writing it out on a whiteboard saying, this is the chemo you're going to do. This is how many you're going to do. This is what's going to happen to you. This is could what be what happens to you. Mm-hmm. Um, just a really, really overwhelming time. And at 35, you're just like, Oh my God, like, yeah, your world gets just totally turned upside down. Yeah. Right. In, yeah. in the matter of, you know, hours and, um, and everything that kind of happens, you kind of are forced to, you know, take it and process something else. So that day finally did come that I started chemo. It was a Tuesday. And I, um, I recall going, you would always have to go for blood work before the chemo appointment. And I remember going in and talking to one of the nurse practitioners that I, that I now refuse to see when I have my follow-up appointments because of the information that she delivered to us. And my, this was my first day of chemo. I had not been hooked up yet, but I had a preliminary visit and she she said, Oh, did anyone give you the results of your PET scan? And I said, no, but you know, my mom and I were both like, we were kind of in good spirits. We're like, ah, we know everything's fine. Like we know it hadn't spread. We were, we were kind of like, okay with where we were at with this. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Like at like a good place. Like, just like, I was like, I understand what, that I have to just like forge ahead, right? Like I'm forging ahead with whatever is going to happen to me. Like I'm going to take it on. I'm going to be, you know, be tough. And then, you know, meanwhile I had met all these other women, um, as a result of the relationship I was in, she then had connected me to other people that had gone through a similar situation that work all at the cancer center. So I always had this amazing circle of people who had been there and done it like not that long before I did. And so, um, anyway, so the nurse practitioner comes in and she says, Oh, well, we there um there's they suspect on your pet scan that you, there's a spot on your thyroid there's a cancerous spot on your thyroid and actually i had had a biopsy on that i take it back i did have oh, a okay. biopsy on that the day prior but we were just like eh, whatever, whatever. right it, it was it was not on my radar but yeah. it ended up being that she shared with me that i also have thyroid cancer on the first day of chemo for oh, my breast my cancer God. situation <laughs> Really good um, bedside manner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because she had thought that someone told me already, oh I guess. Still, but just like, oh. Yeah, so now I have to go up to chemo. Come on, lady. Which I had never done before, obviously. Yeah. And so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm terrified. Mm-hmm. And now they're telling me that I have this other situation I have to deal with. They're like, you know what? This, that is not a priority. Get through your breast cancer treatment because I had a year of that ahead of me. The type of breast cancer that I have is HER2 positive. And what was that again? I was her too. So there's, there's basically uh, a few, di- there's a few different types of breast cancer. So estrogen, progesterone positive, which is a, what they call hormone positive or negative mm-hmm. her too, which is, it's kind of more rare slash aggressive. 
Okay. Triple, triple negative, which means you have no positive. And it, this is all has to do with the hormone receptors that are active on your cancer gotcha. tumor. Okay. The cells that are present in the tumor. Um, or you could be triple negative like my mom was, which okay. I'll get to that obviously, but yeah. there's, you know, triple positive where you have every single hormone receptor in there. You got to do all sorts of, you know, all of the therapies that you can possibly think of. Um, there's just, there, it's so diverse. And the, the one thing that was interesting to me was to actually learn that there were so many different, everyone is different mm-hmm. when they present with, with a cancer like this. Right. And there are so many different facets to it. Um, there's a genetic component to all of it. And so I also had to do, that was one of the first things that I did after my diagnosis was um, genetic testing. Mm. And because typically, and then I ended up doing this for work, which I'll get to probably at some point as well. I did this for work for about 18 months. Um, I worked for a genetic um, hereditary cancer testing lab, actually selling the, selling the genetic testing to, cancer centers like the one that I went to. Um, and yeah, it it kind of came a little bit full circle. It was, it was an interesting thing, but I think what people, there's a misconception out there around, you kind of assume that you say, okay, I have cancer in my family. I get cancer. It's caused by a gene mutation. It's, which is very actually minimally the case. It's like less than 10% of actual cancers are hereditary. So all cancers are genetic. They are not hereditary, which is, it seems like a counterintuitive statement, but it's actually, that's what they, that's what I was told. Oh, and no, less I'm just than 10, to wrap my brain around the, like, it's the, very the weird. Yeah. Like, it's very hard. Yeah. Um, so it all has to do with your genes Okay. But oh, it's yeah. not necessary. It's not necessarily passed down yeah. from your mom or your dad or whatever. It's okay. absolutely right. So there is some genetic connection to what happened to me. Mm-hmm. I just don't know what it is. There is just mm-hmm. not a gene mutation that's out there, and you know, ha- having been discovered mm-hmm. that is you know out there and was present in my mm-hmm. situation. So um, my mom was also tested for it. Did not have any genetic link to her cancer, even though her mother passed away from breast cancer in 1986. (laughs) And then we have a lot of hereditary cancers in my family on both sides. We have prostate melanoma. Those are all hereditary cancers. Um, Mm -hmm. It gives you, it gives you, you know, the ability to sleep at night when you know that that was the reason, I guess, but we still don't know. So we have some, my mom has some kind of, I don't know if you want to call it a conspiracy theories, but there's a there's a drug that her mother was given when she was pregnant with her called DES, with which is it stands for it's a that's the shortened version of diethylstilgestrel, which is I believe given to was given. I don't think anybody is ever given it now, but I want to say it was for morning sickness or women who had miscarried and things of that nature. So. My mom has been convinced for a very long time that her cancer specifically is probably linked to my grandmother taking that. There is also data, and I have read it, that suggests that the granddaughters of women who have taken DES also have breast cancers commonly presenting. And those, yeah, so... 
I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to wrap your head around. Like you said, you know, I think it's hard to wrap your head around, um, certain parts of it, but needless to say anyway. So I went through six rounds of chemo every 21 days. I, I had four different medications infused every 21 days. One of which was, um, some people call it a wonder drug called Herceptin, which is specific to my type of cancer for her two positive cancer patients. I proceeded to get that infused every 21 days for a whole year. Mm, So yeah, that luckily was not something that had side effects attached to it though. Yeah. Like the traditional side effects that you hear Mm -hmm. about. No, the other ones did. Um, (laughs) the other ones did for sure. I mean, I, I was not, I think one of the things that you fear the most in getting a cancer diagnosis, because they asked me that they were like, what are you most afraid of? Um, and I said, I I just feel like I'm going to be sick all the time. Like you, you think you see it on TV, right? You Mm -hmm. see the cancer patients on TV. You think that you're going to be, you just vomiting your brains out all day long and just not able to function, which I, also in hindsight, think that I, and was told by many people that I did remarkably well. I, you know, I think, so the, the, that's the value I think in being a healthy person before you get a diagnosis is yeah. that your body can handle it pretty well. You know, I was, I, I tell people all the time, I was in the best shape of my life the day that I was diagnosed and heard the word that you never want to hear. Um, me too. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, it just, it's so, it's so difficult. And I think that, you know, unfortunately what lingers as a result of it, and I don't know if you would say this in your situation too, but you know, you don't really trust your body anymore. And I think, um, and even, even being an athlete and being into yoga and being very mindful of, of what was going into my body and things like that, and being very aware when something wasn't right with it. Um, this one threw me for a loop because I never would have known that anything was really off, obviously, until, until I found that, that lump, you know, so I'm like, I think that's just like also kismet fate that you found that lump because the scan didn't show it like the ultrasound did. So if you went and got like Mm -hmm. a mammogram, they probably wouldn't have seen it. Yeah. It would have progressed. So uh, that is, that's a blessing right there. But And the interesting part of it too, and I think the, the other thing that people don't really realize is that my surgeon told me actually um, when I first met her that the tumor before you can feel it is likely growing for probably close to seven years before you can actually even oh, feel shit. it. Oh, yes. God. Yeah. There's a, there's a very big chunk of time to which you would never you would never know because you wouldn't be able to feel it. <laughs> and then it was probably growing in there for six to seven years is what she said to me the first day I met her. So, I mean, that's crazy too. Cause I was just like, Oh my God, like, because you say to yourself, had I seen this or felt this or known this sooner, how would that have changed my situation and what I, my body had to go through? Um, but you know, you don't really get that luxury, I guess, a lot of the time. So, so I finished my cancer treatment for, you know, my particular situation. But in the middle of that is where my mom enters from stage left here. And, <laughs> and because she was so actively involved with me and taking me to my treatments and being there for me, um, 
she was not vigilant about maintaining her own health care appointments naturally. Um, but then once I got to be in a more stable kind of spot and I was in, I was in a position where I was like, okay, it was March. I think at this point, my birthday's in March. She, um, I was going back to work in April. So I got my diagnosis in October of 2016, went through chemo, finished chemo, I think in January, my surgery was in March. I was planning to go back to work when I was going to start radiation. So I went back to work, I think it was April 1st that year of 2017. And then I still, and then I finished treatment completely in September of 17. It was when I finished the rest of the Herceptin Herceptin infusions. Um, So in March, right before my birthday, she said, you know what, like you're in a good spot. I'm going to kind of get caught up with some stuff. I've got my GYN appointment. And this was really right before my birthday. This was like the weekend of my birthday, I think, um, or going into it. She goes to her appointment. We go to have dinner. I'm doing great. I had this like wonderful birthday that year. I, you know, went and got pedicure. And I think that I, I, I just, I was starting to get feeling like myself um, and put myself back together mode, I think, at that point. I was like, I'm going back to work next week. I was, you know, looking forward to kind of putting all the worst behind me a little bit. And then I was going to have my thyroid on in August, but that's a, that's a story for further on, I guess. But, um, so my birthday goes, goes off and, you know, nothing really is said. And then the next day I said, you know, how did your appointment go the other day? And I, because I think, I mean, we hadn't really talked about it and I just kind of let it go. And she would naturally probably have told me that something was going on. So she said, so I didn't want to tell you on your birthday, but you know, I failed my mammogram when I, when they sent me for my checkup and I've got, I've got cancer now too. And thinking about it now, like it's still, it still evokes so much emotion for me to, to talk about because I think, and I've said this to people even recently that I don't necessarily feel like I fully processed even all these years later, I mean, it's not even a ton of years later, but I don't, I don't feel like I fully processed the fact that that happened to us in less than a year. And so, you know, and I was kind of still going through it and I had to now help her go through it. And it was just, it's crazy to even think about. (laughs) It's crazy to even think about, but I, you know, I, we're doing well now, obviously. Like you said, it's, um, it's a lot. Like, but it is a lot, and I guess the emotion that it stirs up in me is, is how I think you know that you don't ever really put it in the rearview mirror. And oh, you know, I think that always lingering, always there. It's just always right here, and I yeah. and it holds me. But and I think that that's one of the things that is the most frustrating about having this be part of my story now is that. I think it holds me back from really, even though they say like, oh, you know, you should be living life and, and, you know, being happy and thankful and all these things. And it's like, you just feel like you can't necessarily fully do that, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And 
I feel like that has the ability to do that has been totally stolen from me because of all this. Yeah. It's kind of like a, like so. a 22, you know, like you survive cancer, like you have a new lease on life. The way you look at living is different and the way, you know, you kind of live is different, but then also you always have that little like dark cord back there pulling at you, like, because it's, you're also being realistic, you know, it's happened once for you basically twice, you know, at the same time. And then like, who's to say, like, that's not going to come back somewhere else. Like I just had an OB appointment yesterday and they, like, we were trying to get pregnant. I'm not able to get pregnant. They took a biopsy. I'm, I'm freaked out. Mm -hmm. They're going to find like, I have ovarian cancer or cervical cancer or like some crazy cancer down there. So it's just like always like right there, shoulder back your mind. And it's, it really is hard to, to move on. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's a completely logical reaction for you to have. (sighs) And and just the, yeah, absolutely. And the anxiety though, that lingers and Mm -hmm. that has presented now in my life and has just kind of like taken this, you know, passenger seat in my life, (laughs) you know, it's like always in the car with me. It's like, Hey, (laughs) I haven't seen you in a couple hours. Like, you know, you know, just when you, when you really, are trying really hard to be present and be more um, past it. It just mm-hmm. doesn't really let you do that. No. <laughs> so um, anyway, so it was, it was hard when my mom was in the thick of treatment because she had this mindset that, I mean, my mother is a very strong person and I, man, I don't know. Watching her go through it was just remarkable because she is just, she's, and she used to say how strong she thought I was when I was going through it. And and to see her do it with such, um, she's never needed. Like, I felt like I wanted to always have people around and I felt like I really needed that support and she just didn't. And she wanted to, I think, shield me from, <clears throat> she's like, you're, I'm trying to not expose you to this stuff because you have trying, you're like trying to move past it and trying to get to this better spot. And I, you know, she did a lot of trying to, you know, prevent me from showing up at her chemo infusions and I would do it anyway. And yeah, yeah. Um, she's your mom. She's just, but that's the thing. Like I just, I couldn't, I, I couldn't watch her go through it alone. Um, and my dad was not super, super man, super supportive man in that situation. And she didn't want him to be. And, and that's the relationship that they have. And, and that's not whatever, you know, whatever. But, um, I, I don't know. It was a, it was a difficult, very difficult time. Um, but she did remarkably well too. And I think, um, the thing that I like to try to reflect more on instead of the like sadness of it is to try to hold on to the, how awesome it is that we both did pretty well. And I was able to still do yoga and I was still able to do, you know, some of the things that I enjoyed while I was going through treatment because I didn't feel terrible all the time. (laughs) You know, all the misconceptions around like you there, and there are also so many things that they can do now. So you don't feel like crap every single day. I mean, granted, you know, 
there's a lot of, you know, anti-stomach sickness medications. I, I can't even think of what the name is right uh, now. But anti-nausea? Or, yeah, uh, anti-nausea. Yeah. Okay. So, you, like, you know, <laughs> before my, before my infusions happened, even before the chemo was infused, I would get, it, I would get pumped full of stuff that would protect my stomach for days and days after treatment. It was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. I had no idea. Um, and it was, some of the stuff was a godsend, honestly, um, looking back and, you know, yes, was I, I was tired for probably the first week or so, but then literally there would come a time in the cycle where I came back to life and I was able to, you know, still do headstands at yoga class. Like it was incredible. It was incredible. And, and I have to give myself a little more credit for, um, how well I, I actually did yeah. do through all of that, despite what you are going through. So, yeah. So did you, you didn't have to do like a mastectomy or, um, a so or anything? I did lumpectomy. Okay. My surgeon, they're very conservative at the cancer center where I was treated mm-hmm. in that, especially in younger people. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously it was my choice. Um, and it was something that I did ask of everyone. I was like, do you think that that is the right choice for me? based on my situation, if I need to have a more dramatic surgery, I want to know if that, and honestly, what was also interesting to hear, similar to the genetics conversation that I didn't realize was that the survival rates for women in pretty much every age group, as it relates to what type of surgery you choose, regardless of your stage severity, whatever, the the survival rates are almost identical, whether it be mastectomy or lumpectomy as it relates to all of it. So, you know, my surgeon was very, I, as I said, like, if, if you think that it's going to be better off for me long-term to have this radical surgery to get rid of the breast tissue. The thing is, and I've heard so many things about this too, like your breast tissue is never completely gone. Like there's no way, there's no nothing that they can do to completely remove every single breast tissue cell that exists in your, in your body. Like it's just not possible. So even if you choose to have a dramatic surgery like that, yes, do you increase, you know, increase your chance of it not coming back? Sure to a degree, but you know, it doesn't, that doesn't eliminate the possibilities for, like you said, to have it come back somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so one way or the other, she said, obviously it's easier to make a different decision later in your situation. If you choose to say, you know what, I don't want to be scared of this all the time. You probably will be anyway, but to lessen your chance of another breast cancer, if you wanted to have that surgery later down the road, it's easier to obviously do that when you choose lumpectomy first and say, you know what, I want to go back and have this more drastic surgery. Like you can't undo. Yeah. (laughs) You can't go back and say, put them back, (laughs) put them back together, you know? Um, So you know, they were, she was very helpful in making that decision. And I felt comfortable with it. You know, she, my surgery was successful. I had clean margins. I did not have any lymph nodes involved. My mom 
made the same decision. She also had the same outcome, um, you know, surgery related and radiation was kind of easy. I mean, it was annoying because you had to go every single day. I think I had 28. So I went every day for 28 days at the same time, every morning. Um, right. And that was right when I was working again too. So it was my first month back to work. And then my first day of radiation was like my first day at work. What kind of like, uh, I guess, guidelines did they have for that? Like, did you go into like a booth and then like, could you not be around people for a while? Is it kind of like the radioactive iodine or is no. it like just a, no, I mean, what was also very interesting and obviously this whole thing was extremely like, learning experience folk like it was like i learned about things that i never thought i would have to know radiation is very specific so you have to go you make this appointment to go and they take measurements and they like position you in a certain way and you have to be in that position every single day the exact same way the exact same it is so bizarre and if they made the determination that i needed to go like this <laughs> or move your arm a little bit this way they literally had photos of every single position that i was to be in every day oh my god right down like very very measured calculated very very interesting too it was fascinating to, to see I had no idea i had no clue i had no clue and then there was also um a very specific breathing technique that was done because, because of the, this was something that I asked them about. I was worried about this because I, of course, I'm like a researcher, which was good and bad all at the same time. I'm a Googler and oh, I, you know, I wanted to know all the things. <laughs> I, my, if you ask me what a piece of advice is for anybody, do not do that. Even though I do that all the time, still do yes. not oh do that. I, yep. Do I'm, not do I'm that. with you hundred percent. Do not go online. <laughs> You know, so, but I, I, I looked into, I was, you know, I saw all this data on, you know, secondary cancers caused by radiation. Mm, yeah. Damage to your heart because of radiation, damage to your lungs because of radiation. And I said, I don't want to do this. I've already been poisoned. I'm continued to get this infusion every, every three weeks. Um, I also fought my oncologist on not taking tamoxifen because I think the other point of advice that I would give people is be your own advocate and advocate for yourself. And the, where, where the research part is valuable is knowing your situation. Like these are my circumstances. Like I did not have a hormone positive cancer, even though I'm in a, you know, very reputable cancer center, you know, nationally worldwide recognized, whatever, what I don't like about that part is that I show this little green card every time that I have an appointment and it has a number on it. And that's my, that's me, right? Like it's not me as the patient, you know, in my own specific circumstances and my own, whatever it's I'm patient four, three, nine, eight, seven, six. And there's a protocol attached to everybody you know, and this is what we recommend based on your age and based on this and based on your, whatever cancer it is you have. And it's like, well, I'm not okay with that. Yeah. Just right. Like number. Yeah. That's I'm almost thinking, and, and it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of a joke, but it's kind of, I, I said to my uncle one day, we had dinner a couple of weeks ago and he just recently finished treatment for prostate cancer. And I, I said, I want to get that number tattooed on me right here <laughs> because it is just, yeah. 
it becomes a part of who you are. And unfortunately, you know, I though fought back on, you know, the protocol because they claim every, every breast cancer patient gets Samoxifen. I said, well, why? If you're not a breast, if you're not hormone positive breast cancer, like I was not, if you can't show me a benefit Mm -hmm. or you can't show me how this is going to dramatically increase my survival rate or dramatically decrease my chance of getting another cancer or whatever the case may be, I'm not comfortable with you just telling me this is the protocol. Like I'm in, and and maybe it's an unfortunate side effect or occupational hazard of my, my job, my career. I've been in pharmaceutical, medical healthcare sales for 13 years now and it's data, data focus. And we're showing studies and, you know, we're trying to prove why our product is better or more effective or whatever the case may be. I want to see that. Yeah. I want to see that in my own situation more than anybody else, right? I want to see that if it's going to benefit me, then I'll do it. If it's not, I'm not comfortable with it. You know, I'm not comfortable just being handed this saying, everybody's got to do it. So here you go. Um, For five to 10 years with a slew of side effects that are not good, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not comfortable doing that. And so you have to advocate for yourself. You have to fight back when you're not comfortable with what you're being given. And then not everybody's comfortable doing that or, or, or knows to do that. I, um, a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago, I talked with Jackie Shore. She's a, a cancer coach and patient advocate. I listened to her. Yeah. And she, that was like her big thing. She's like, be your own mm-hmm. advocate. If you can't have somebody yep. else be that advocate for you. So I think yep. that is a, such a huge, huge, um, <sighs> I'm drawing blank on the word, a, a huge reason, oh, excuse me, a huge, a huge way to help set yourself up for success and to ask questions. And to, like you said, don't just do something because they said, oh, that's what everybody does. Yeah. It's, you don't benefit, have to accept that that's, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if there's not, if they can't prove to you why you're doing it, like I think that not enough people really do advocate for themselves. And I, and if there was any reason that I'm glad that I have the wherewithal to do that, it's, it's that because, you know, I, I, it's just not, that wasn't good enough for me. Right. So, um, yeah. And I, I think that that's important. And I think that that message is important to get, to get out. Um, to anybody who's diagnosed going forward. And that's what I would share with anybody that I know that has to go through something like that. So, um, yeah. And then, I don't know, I had the thyroid surgery that, that seems like very insignificant (laughs) story. I mean, it kind of, even though, I mean, that was the cancer that you had, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and I don't know if you, the only thing that I would say about that part of the story is that I just m- maybe wish that my mom and I always joke that we wish we could get our thyroids back. Yeah. We always, we always say so, that our thyroid, okay, well, she actually, so she, she they, they suspected that she had thyroid cancer and she had it taken out mm. and then they determined that she didn't. And now she doesn't have it anymore. And in thread. So we've gone through a whole slew of things with that because she was initially on level thyroxine, which also probably an occupational hazard is that I don't like generic medications always because I believe they don't necessarily work as well. And so I'm on branded Synthroid. We both demand mm-hmm. to be on branded Synthroid. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I guess I just, I don't feel the same. My sister though. had the same issue with the, the, sorry, with the generic brand. She has to have, yeah. like the brand yes. on brand or whatever it is, but yeah. So, I, but I, I feel like though, you. I don't know. You're okay. I, I just feel like we, we wish that we had our, our thyroids like back and act like yeah. we always, we always joke that our, our, our synthroids, our thyroids are, you know, partying in a dumpster somewhere together, you know, like <laughs> just having a, having up. a little thyroid. <laughs> yeah. Having a little thyroid party. I made a um, picture of mine before, um, they got rid oh. of it or whatever they did with it. It was a gnarly tumor on there. So I was like, can you please take a picture? <laughs> so yeah. It's oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like the, the gold. Yeah. I don't snitch. have that. And I, yeah. I'm not sure that I would have wanted to see that. Oh, I want but... to see that fucker. <laughs> Oh, I, I wonder if they would have given you, I wouldn't No, I have a terrible mouth. Um, <laughs> I, I wonder if they would have given it to you like in a jar or something. Like I, you wanted I, it. I was going to, not that I, I mean, what the hell did you do with it? I don't know. I, guess, I don't know but... if they wanted to test more of those like a specific type. I don't know if they want to make sure it was the papilla, papillary sarcoma or whatever, but. So, you know, what's interesting I, about thyroid cancer too. This is a, just a fun fact. I don't know if you, they shared this with you in your process, but, um, because when I had the biopsy done, they're mm-hmm. like, well, the biopsy is not really a super mm-hmm. accurate reading of whether or not you actually have a thyroid cancer. Like yeah, they're, they might just be like, yeah, yeah, like the number of, you know, false positives I think they get mm-hmm. from something like that is very, it's, it's a big number from what I understand. Yeah. So the only true way to know if you had a thyroid cancer. Yeah is to take it out completely and reset it. it. Yeah. And that's the only way that they know. Yeah. I'm sure and that's, that's so unfortunate because I mean, if all of a sudden you, you make a determination that maybe you don't have it or you yeah. could have just had part of it out or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like it's such a major, it's an important, I didn't organ. realize how, yes, it is an important <laughs> organ. And I think that, um, I don't know. Do you feel the same without it? Um, Yes and no. Um, it was a slow onset of me not being myself until I got it out. Like even my husband said that, like, he's like, you Mm -hmm. weren't yourself like for the longest time. And he said, it was just a slow transition. And, um, mine was like three, three centimeters big. It was a big one. It was a big guy. Um, and it it did turn out to be thyroid cancer. And I just kind of always thought it was like the bump that was like normal. I don't, I don't know. Like it was just so slow growing. And, um, when I finally got it out and like, I recovered about two weeks later, like my husband was like, Oh my God, you're back. So like in that sense, like I feel stronger. I feel like I've actually had a really good, um, recovery experience just because I feel stronger. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have um, more energy, not every day, but, um, as far as my body, maybe it's because I'm also getting older. I don't know. My body is, doesn't respond as quickly. Like girl, I put on some weight. I, I, don't, feel, know if that's, I don't know if that's because. Oh I'm my God. Or no, <laughs> I think, no, I, and I have, and I don't know if it is a post chemo thing or a thyroid thing or mm-hmm. what, but there's, there's at least, you know, five to 10 pound difference that I just can't shake. I mean, I have, I ride a Peloton bike almost every day since yeah. being in the quarantine. And yes, am I extremely great? I, I feel like I don't ever want to come off. Like I'm not grateful that 
my body got me through that. Mm-hmm. Like I am underneath it all, but I think that there's also a certain level of like, I want, I want to be me, yeah. uh, you know, and I, and it's hard to accept that it's not the same as it used to be. And I think that, um, that's the other unfortunate side effect that you are stuck with forever is that you're just kind of like, okay, you know, this is a new normal. And like yeah. they said, which is like the, the quarantine. Term, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, no, also, but you know, it's hard, it's hard to accept that like, okay, this you know, spare tire situation, which I've always had a little bit, obviously, but I think it's, you know, it's, it, you can't really shake it anymore. Like I have joint pain now that I didn't really have. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm going to be 40 in a few months. Eek. Miles Gasp. That, no, yeah. But I, you know, I mean, I think though that that is, it's hard to accept, yeah. you know, Mm-hmm. It's hard to accept. It's hard to accept that that is your reality and that your reality now includes, you know, staggered imaging of, you know, MRI every six months, mammogram every six. So it's like, I have this schedule of like, Oh, but right before Thanksgiving, I get my mammogram. Yeah. And then in May I get my MRI and you know, the, the stress and the anxiety that's involved in all that. And, you know, total PTSD with that. Like PTSD is very real. Very real. My experience was not as, as, as large as yours. And I had like massive PTSD going in for my ultrasound, like six months after, like I'm, I'm it doesn't matter what cancer you have. Like you still heard the word cancer. Like I've had that conversation with people like, yes, thyroid cancer is one of the better cancers to have. Like like, because it doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't typically spread, you know, for whatever reason, but you know what the C word is the C word. Okay. Mm-hmm. And maybe some people's treatment or whatever you go through is less invasive or less damaging. And it's like mm-hmm. losing your hair or whatever you, it doesn't matter. You know, it's all damaging to you in some way, you know, and sticks with you somehow and going forward changes who you are. And, all of that. So, yeah, but I'm happy to say that my mom and I are both doing well though. I mean, that's the thing. I guess at the end of the whole spiel is you guys that are- we're both doing well. And, you know, I think, and, and she's much better at appreciating that and, you know, just kind of like letting it roll off of her back than I am. So I think everyone's got their own ways of dealing with it, but yeah. I, you know, I probably don't do a very good job. <laughs> I probably don't do a very good job of managing my feelings around that. Um, like she does, but well, I try to, different. I try to take her lead. Yeah. Everybody's different. But, Everybody reacts differently and has their own thoughts and emotions and that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. it's always been hard for me to not feel like broken from the whole thing though. And I think that that still lingers. Um, a lot. And, um, did you have like when, when I hated telling people, like, I thought that was like the the crappiest part because they all of a sudden looked at me like I was like fragile. I don't know if you had that experience. Like I, I didn't tell anybody that I had cancer. Like I didn't put it on any social media, like Mm -hmm. basically my husband, like people found out through my husband, except for, you know, my family, of course I told my family, but, um, and close friends, but 
acquaintances, people that we knew at the gym. I didn't tell them they had to find out through him. So that's an also that's also a very like personal decision, and yeah. I I made the decision to be very vocal about my Good. diagnosis, and I am still very vocal about it um, to this day. Um, my mom, though, no one knew. Unless I told them or she told them, mm-hmm. very, very few people knew. Um, there are still people that I, I think in our, I don't know, maybe even family, extended family, things like that, that had no idea. Right. And yeah. that was the way that she preferred it. You know, so it was her journey. And I think that everyone has to deal with that in their own way. I think for me, um, especially on Facebook, there's a whole community of people that that I knew that went through it before or that are going through it now or have gone through it. I mean, I think it's, you have to, um, you have to get through it however you're comfortable. And I think for me, it was connecting with people and, Mm -hmm. and then going forward, I think it is about showing people that, you know what, you can get through this and be better and advocate and push someone else through their journey or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and cheer other people on. And I think, you know, unfortunately you see people all the time. Like there was a, a friend of mine, that sister just went through it that lived behind me growing up and she, you know, younger than me that is still going through treatment. Like it's just, and those are the kind of people that I reach out to now. And it's like, okay, you know, you, you have this whole, just, it's like this club that you yeah. don't ever really want to be a part of, but <laughs> And, but you are, and it's like, okay, since we're all going to be in this club, like we might as well just like band together and figure out how to, you know, manage this stuff. But, um, that's what people say all the time. I, I still, when I, I meet people or, um, you know, find out that they were on a similar journey to mine. Like, it's like, you have this bond though, Mm -hmm. this like unspoken, like you have this connection to someone that's like kind of hard to describe. And I remember experiencing it a few times when I was going through treatment. Like I would, for a little while I, I had wigs and I did the whole thing. And, but then that got really old and uncomfortable at some point. And I started to just either, I went completely out there with my bald head or I just did like the bandana thing or something Mm -hmm. like that. And I would have people approach me I would be like in getting lunch or something somewhere and I would have people walk up to me and say, you know, what kind of journey are you on? Like they would ask me some kind of question like that. Like I can Mm -hmm. tell that you're on some type of journey, like in a tactful way. And obviously at the time I was like, oh my God, like I roll, (laughs) you know, like talking to me, (laughs) I'm on some type of journey. Like at, at the time, like you don't really get it until you get it. Right. And you don't get it until you're on the other side where you're like, you see someone else go through it. Um, and I would have people come up to me and say, you know what, I, this is where I've been yeah. and just know that it's going to be okay, you know, and just look at me and say, uh, you know, you're going to be on the other side of this at some point. And, you know, just know that there are many people that either came before you or will come after you that have yeah. been there and I've done the same. And then I've proceeded to do the same thing. And I think it was such a gift um, when people did that, because then I was like, okay, I, I know that I am the kind of person that will do that going forward. And I have done it. Mm-hmm. And it, there's something about that that is really powerful. I think to be able to, um, both recall where you have been and remember the message that you received from someone else that you didn't know. 
Um, to be able to give that to someone else, I think is very, very cool. And the opportunities that I've had to do that are, um, many, I I think I've done that many, many times, um, unfortunately, but, um, it's, it's just, it's cool. It's It's nice and it's, and and it's full circle, right? Because you, you see, you, you see how far you've come and you appreciate Mm -hmm. that part and you also kind of give that gift to someone else. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, absolutely. I, I would say the cancer community is, such, like you said, such a special group, such an amazing source. Um, uh, Just, just, I don't know. I always kind of say it's like a warm fuzzy just because like Mm -hmm. everybody is open arms. They're there for you, whatever you need. It doesn't matter. You have to be. They're there like just to like, if you need to like vent, if you need to cry, yeah. if you need advice, like everybody mm-hmm. in the cancer community is like, well, this is what I experienced. This is a, like, maybe try this or, you know, talk mm-hmm. to your doctor about this. Like everyone is just so helpful and so loving and always, you know, coming from a really good place. There's like no hidden agendas. And to me, I think yep. that's just like the most like heartwarming thing that I I've experienced with the cancer community. I would agree with that, especially if you're talking about, uh, if I would reflect on my experience actually getting my chemo infusions, like the nurses, my chemo nurses, some of them still like text me on holidays or whatever. Like they were literally the most special angels, mm-hmm. you know, in the entire world going through that. Cause I honestly, some days are like so incredibly hard when you're sitting there and feeling like it's never, you're never going to get through it. And you just have these people who, I don't know, that is very hard to describe, but those were some of the most just remarkable people that I ever met and uh, had the fortune of, of being poked in the chest by, in my, in my metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the thing. I mean, I think you just, you have, like, by nature, have to be a special, special human to help people through something like that. Absolutely. So. A special place in heaven for them. Oh yeah. Big time. Yeah. I, I imagine for them too, it's, it's gotta be a really difficult, rewarding yet difficult, um, vocation just because you, you are with mm-hmm. people with cancer that you don't know if they're going to make it, that, you know, you don't know if you're going to see them for their next treatment, good or bad, whatever, but it's, it's gotta be incredibly tough for them too. So like oncology nurses are just incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never and I could, them. I could name all of them and it would take me a while, but they just are, I, I just have so much gratitude for, um, the way that they showed up for me specifically. But I, I also though was the person who like had the chemo party, right? Like I was, there was always, there's like always one, right? There's always one person that has like six people who cut like, you know, you got the person coming and be like, I've got another person who's here to see, like, do you want them to come back? And I had, and then I'll have like chairs all around me of like all the people and they're like bringing cookies and all the people that work there came and, you know, just, I had always this like gathering of people, oh, um, wow. at my, and yeah, I was that, I'm that person. And even when I have my visits now, you know, you have your favorite nurses that you see, mm-hmm. or you have your, you know, the staff who remembers you and it, mm-hmm. um, when you have a clinic visit and because I was always, I was very engaging with the staff. I was always, and maybe again, it's because of my job, but I, you know, I liked to have that relationship because now 
I also am very specific about who I see. Like, I don't want to see my oncologist. Like, she will ruin my day any day of the week. Or I don't want to see that nurse practitioner who gave me that bad news, yeah. that extra bad news. Mm-hmm. So I'm very specific about who I see. I'm like, I like my nurse practitioner, or I will mm-hmm. take this new person, but they're, you know, and they'll listen to me because yeah. I... I've been coming there for four years and they're basically like, we will, okay, like keep her happy. You know, (laughs) like on my last day of chemo, I made cupcakes and I'm passing out cupcakes. And I'm like, you know, I think that part of getting through that journey is your mindset and your attitude and Mm -hmm. the way that you approach it. And I think that I did whatever I could you know, and even especially on the days where you did not feel strong and that you did not feel like going and sitting in the chemo chair. And the days that were the hardest were the days where I tried so hard to like, okay, put on the pink wig, like from Halloween, the Halloween store and like make it look like, like fake it till you make it right. Like push through this day and tomorrow will be better, you know? And there's even days I do that now, right? Like you do that in, in your real life too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, oh, you yeah. don't, do, you don't necessarily just do that in your cancer life. So I, you know, I, I try to pull from that journey sometimes and, and say, you know what, I have been through harder things, you know, and, and some days, I mean, even in the quarantine, it's like some, some days are hard and, you endure some crappy things in regular life. And the one thing that's hard too, and I don't know if you feel like this, but you know, I promised myself that, okay, I'm done with treatment and I promised myself, and this makes me emotional to talk about too. I promised myself so hard that I was like, I'm not going to get wrapped up in all the crap of life and like Mm -hmm. get stressed about little things and like what little things bother me. Ever again, like I, I made these just lofty promises to myself and I was just on this mission to live a different life. And it's so easy to go back. To revert back. Yeah. Oh my God. So easy. And that's exactly, because I was like, there's just so much more to life. And I, I did not want to go back and, you know, have the same kind of human experience. Right. To say like you know, it's my life has changed now because of yeah. this, right? But it, it hasn't, right? <laughs> you know, it hasn't because you're the same. And yeah, and the things, the, and this, yeah, stuff creeps yeah. in, and and I, I wish it didn't, and I, and I wish that I did a better job, I guess, of not mm-hmm. allowing it that, to creep in that way. But um, we're human. That's all right. I know, and I guess, I guess, knock on wood, we're lucky enough to to live to tell yeah. this tale, and you know, and be able to just be on the other side and, and be living whatever crappy human experience we have to live. Well, right. Like the 2020 human experience. Right. And it's like, okay, well, if you can go through chemo, you can survive 2020. Oh my God. Seriously. So on top of that, I feel so bad for like the people who are experiencing cancer or some sort of sickness during this year. During this. Yeah. So isolating because like for you, you said, you know, you always had the chemo party. You had a lot of people, in your corner to surround yourself. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah. And, and I can't imagine. I don't have the option for that. And that's, I, I, I can't, I can't mm-hmm. even imagine. No, so I not feel, at all. I feel blessed that I got my, I got my thyroid out in February. So I'm, I feel blessed that my friend was able to come visit me. She worked at Kaiser or works at Kaiser. That's mm-hmm. where I had my surgery. 
my mm-hmm. husband was able to come and like we I right. were able to have people around and I got visitors and it was great, mm-hmm. but I, it, it would have been very isolating and very lonely. And it can be for sure. Yeah. And I think, general, yeah, I mean, anyway. my, there yeah. were a lot of friendships. I could, I could yeah. say, I could speak to some friendships that I thought were kind of dramatically changed by going through treatment and that, you know, who is going to be there for you and who isn't right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so oh, yeah. it's, it, that, that is something that's made pretty clear to you right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you kind of feel like you almost feel like it's contagious and certain ways, right? Like yeah. they were like, it was like, Oh, that's interesting. That person didn't reach out or yeah, disappeared. Yeah. That's it. I was talking to my, my friend Joe about it. She also had breast cancer and she was just saying like how, you know, certain friends phased out, you know, like they don't know what to say. They don't know how to react. They don't know how to support. And that's not our fault. It's not, it's not mm-hmm. the person with cancer's fault. It's, you know, that. that but on the flip side, I will say, so while I, I did experience that side of it, I also experienced people that I hardly knew that showed up for me in the most amazing ways. Um, there was one girl in particular who I actually, strangely enough, took her job when she moved on to a different different job. I took over her job mm-hmm. and she was just, and I still probably should. Uh, and I, and I have sent her a thank you card upon thank you card over the years, but um, just, I, it's like, you feel like there's something bigger that you want to do for someone like that. Like she was dropping off soup. She would drop off oh. cards, like motivational stuff oh, and text me and, and just like really stayed in touch. And it was someone who I literally, and I still haven't ever met her in person. And she was just there for me bigger than anybody. And so it's just, and I think, I think the part of your agenda had asked for like advice or something. And I keep kind of putting these little gems there. I think that one of the things that I would say to people too, is if you experience someone that either gets diagnosed or whatever, a lot of people make the claim that they don't know what to say. And I don't know if, if you experience anyone like that, like, Oh, you don't know what to say. So you say nothing like <laughs> that to me is not acceptable. Like I'm, I'm the kind of person who is like, okay, I, I know that maybe it's hard to find the right words, yeah. but saying something, even saying that, I like, say. yeah. I don't know what to say, but uh-huh. I want to know how you want me to be there for you. Right. Like, I think it's very important to provide the right support for people <laughs> based on what they may be, let them tell you, but yeah. just say something mm-hmm. because you don't want to be in a situation where, you know, a friendship is forever changed or you lose a friendship or something over, you know, I didn't know how to be there for this person. So they're not in my life anymore. Like, yeah it's such a critical time to, you know, be supportive of people. And I think, um, you know, that's just something that's always really resonated for me is like, if I see it, like if someone posts on Facebook, like they're going through it, like I immediately feel inclined to like send a private message or if I know where they live, like there's gotta be, there's always something I think that you can say that is constructive and, mm-hmm. and saying nothing I think is the, is probably more the damaging. Yeah. More damaging than anything else. Yeah. That was my experience anyway. And I just no, think I it's think so, good. I think it's so important to just, you know, be a source of support or, you know, to provide it. Yeah. 
So absolutely. That's great advice. Yeah. yeah you've been, you've been given little nuggets throughout. And I yeah. I, try to I was like, sprinkle, oh, man, sprinkle she's hitting them. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's I pay awesome. attention. Yeah. Oh, you're an excellent interviewee. Um, so I guess like just, we're kind of like at a good spot to, to, to wrap things up. Is there anything that else that you'd like to share? Um, you, you've gave, given some really good advice. Um, just any, anything like what's next going forward for you? Like what, like what kind of goals do you have like, mm. in life post-cancer? Yeah. Like past, present, future. Cause we're kind of like going into your, your future now, you know, like you yeah. have it in the rear view mirror, hopefully not. Yeah. Um, backseat or yeah. Seat too much. Yeah. Just the anxiety is that's what, yeah. that's my passenger. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, going forward. I mean, I hope that I, you know, in the, in the vein of anxiety, I hope that that diminishes the longer mm-hmm. I am out. That's one of the goals that I, <laughs> that's an, an, you know, everyday goal that I have mm-hmm. is to kind of put the anxiety to, to rest a little bit. But, um, you know, I think that one thing that I really have, thought about is getting involved in a little bit more volunteering, maybe being a, a, a coach in the cancer center to patients that are newly diagnosed. I think that that's something long-term. I think maybe when I'm a little bit further out, um, I think that's something that I've considered just to, to be a source of kind of a, a sounding board for, for patients that, mm-hmm. that need that. Um, just with expectations and things like that. I think it it was important for me to have someone that I could, you know, bounce things off of that has been there. Um, so I long-term, I think would get involved in something like that. I think I want to get more involved in, in the cause of breast cancer research. I mean, I think what's tough about it is that you have mixed emotions around it. And I think that's why I say further out more a long-term goal, um, because it's still kind of fresh. (laughs) So I always, I always struggle with like getting involved in the walks or things like that, but it's always something that I consider, um, wanting to be more involved in going forward. Um, maybe even like starting some type of contingent in my area for a support group for young survivors like myself. I think that that there's really no resource that's super out there for that. So I think that, you know, creating something like that, I follow a lot of folks on Instagram and other areas, Mm -hmm. um, survivors and such that I see all these really, you know, cool events, obviously COVID if yeah, COVID ever right. goes away, <laughs> I would love to have, you know, a gathering of, yeah. you know, they, they, I just, I follow like the, you know, the breast cancer survivors on, on Instagram and such. Mm-hmm. And, and they always have these really good resources for, you know, events and gatherings and all this stuff um, that I would love to, you know, be a part of at some point. Yeah. Well, those are great goals. I love it. Yeah. 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 I, um, I know if, you know, going into the, 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 coaching side of things, being an advocate for a lot of patients out there, I think would be a huge, a huge help because when, you know, when people hear the C word, that's everything kind of just blurs and like, mm-hmm. it's just like that wonk, wonk, wonk sound. And you don't really hear what the doctor's telling you. You don't really, sometimes you don't fully understand, but to have somebody who A is probably has been there before. And then, and then B who knows more on the ins and the outs of drugs, medical side of things, like just, just knowing like it, 
more than, you know, the average patient. I think that would be a, a huge thing. And I'm really excited for you if you do go down that route later and later and later. Yes, I think, yeah, I think I need a, maybe a couple more years for That's it fair. to not be so fresh, but, yeah. um, you know, it's something that I am keeping in yeah. my, in my plans, but yeah. you got, you got yeah. a good personality for it. Very easy to talk to and it's yeah. just very approachable. So, yeah. Well, you are too. Thank no, you. Thanks. Like I really, no, fun. this was, a, I know it's this. fun. I know. Well, and that's, and that thing is too, you're, you're in the club and so you yeah. get, you get it. And I think you just, you're on a different level with people that have already, it's, you know, that have gone through it. Yeah. It's, it's such a cool thing. And like, I can't believe like this whole podcast idea came to fruition and I'm actually getting people like finding me and wanting to come on the podcast. And I just, I feel so blessed that once again, the cancer community is just so open arms and, and the people who are willing to talk about it, you know, tell such fantastic stories and getting to know everybody. I, I feel like I'm getting all these new friends and, you know, like that I've never really met in person. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's such, it's something special. And I, I really hope that, you know, if, if one person, each episode just can get touched by these stories and learn something or like just has like an aha moment, I feel like that's just done its job. Like I don't need mm-hmm. a million followers. I don't, I don't need yeah. all this clout. I just want to make a little bit of a difference. And I'm Well, but it's a, sp- and it's a special thing that, that yeah. you are doing too. And I think that it's, um, there's, there's a lot of value in obviously mm-hmm. people sharing their stories, but yeah. The fact that you had the idea to have people do that, I think is very, very cool as oh, well. So I appreciate what you're doing and I hope that you continue to, I, I have, I have a ton of people. If you, I'm going to send them <laughs> yeah, your way, send them my way, all of my, my cancer related friends in different, uh, in different forms. I can send them your way. My friend. I love that. I, I love, I love meeting people and, and hearing people's stories because I really have learned so much in the mm-hmm. like, seven episodes I've done. So um, mm-hmm. I'm just excited to go forward and to meet more people and to hear more stories. So I really yeah. appreciate you being here. And thanks so much for having me. It was awesome. Oh I my loved gosh, it. it was it was an honor. I was like so tickled. I was like, somebody found me. Like, like that's not like a personal friend. I couldn't believe it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So awesome. Um, well, thanks again. Oh my god. Stay well. You too. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Bye, Christy. Thank Bye. you. Bye. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening again today. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation that Christy and I had. Please stay tuned for next week. I will have a brand new episode posted on Monday with another breast cancer survivor. Once again, you can find the podcast wherever you subscribe to podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, you name it. You can find me anywhere. Or you can also listen to my website. Uh, The podcast is on there. It's www.mycancerstorypodcast.com. Thanks again, guys, and have a great rest of your week. Stay well out there.